Well, good morning. It's been a great service already. It's only downhill from here. So, all right. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 13 this morning. You know, we've been talking about service this morning with the Compassion Project. And is PT still in here? Is he? He must have left. Uh, y'all scared him off. But he. Uh, but I just want to thank PT and all the work that he did for the Compassion Project and putting that together. I know he'd been working on that for several, several months. And so when you see PT, just let him know how thankful you are for his desire to serve our church by, by making sure that we have our Compassion uh, Project. And I just want to say thank you to all that was involved to give up a Saturday and to go and serve others who, who needed to be served, who, who needed things to be done that they couldn't do for themselves. And, and the Compassion Project is an, a great example of service. It's a great example of being the hands and the feet of Jesus to others. And I am convinced that every follower of Jesus Christ should be a servant of Jesus by serving others. No follower of Christ is exempt from any act of service. Someone said every church is filled with willing people, some willing to work and others willing to let them. You know, this is not the way it should be. This is not what God intended. If you are part of the body of Christ, you are to serve others the way Jesus served. There are no exceptions. And if Jesus asks us to serve in a specific way or meet a certain need, we're not to say no. We're not to tell Jesus, let me think about it. We are to do it without hesitation and without reservation. Now, I may have shared this with you before, but if you've heard it before, this illustration, act like you haven't. So... There was a sick man and he went to the doctor's office with his wife and the doctor examined the man and ran some tests and his wife waited in the reception area. The doctor came out with a very concerned look on his face and and the wife of this man became very anxious and she said, Doctor, will my husband be okay? The doctor said, well, I'm afraid your husband is very ill. He has this rare form of anemia, but there is a cure. She said, a cure? What's that cure? And he said, if you don't follow this cure, then your husband is going to die. So she said, yes, doctor, please let me know what this cure is. He proceeded to tell her, with rest and proper nutrition, the disease will go into remission and your husband should live for many more years. And here's what you need to do. You need to take him home and you need to treat him like a king. You have to fix him three home-cooked meals a day and wait on him hand and foot. You have to bring breakfast to him in bed. And don't let him do anything that you can do for him. And if he needs something, you have got to take care of it. You need to give him a back rub in the morning and, and give him a full body massage in the evening. And one more thing, because his immune system is so weak, you'll have to keep your home spotless at all times. Do you have any questions, the doctor asked. The wife had none. Then he asked, do you want me to tell your husband or do you want to tell him? She said, I'll tell him. So she walked into the exam room. The husband knew something was wrong. He asked his wife, it's bad, isn't it? What have I got? With a tear in her eye, his wife said, the doctor said, you're going to die. So (laughs) this is not the kind of servant that Jesus wants us to be. This wife was not willing to do what it took for her husband to survive. But God desires for us to serve others willingly and humbly and lovingly 
just as Christ served us. And when we as Christians serve, as lo- serve in love, it is undeniable proof that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to look at a great act of service that Jesus did. We're going to see how he lowered himself to do something that was reserved for the lowliest of servants. And as we go through this passage this morning, I want you to think about, are you the servant that Jesus wants you to be? Are you the servant that Jesus has called you to be? And do you serve and love others the way Jesus did? If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 13 if you're not already there. And we're going to take this section by section. And we're going to talk about the the encounter of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples in the upper room before he was arrested that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to point out to you from this passage three things that shows that this was a great act of service. So let's read it starting in John 13 verses 1 through 5. It says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, he laid aside his robe, he took a towel and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. The first thing I want to point out is that Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, it was an act of service because it was an inconceivable display of love. It was an inconceivable display of love. And remember, this was the night that Jesus was going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was going to be crucified the next day. And before he was arrested, he was in the upper room with his disciples. He was eating a meal with them. He was praying for them. He was teaching them. He was giving them instructions. Because Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to complete his mission and for him to return to the Father He knew that he was about to suffer. He knew he was about to die. He also knew that he would rise again and ascend into heaven. But before he left, he had one more object lesson that he wanted to teach his disciples. And this object lesson that he was going to teach wasn't an ordinary object lesson. This was going to be a memorable and powerful lesson that would even stun his disciples. He wanted to give his disciples a lesson they wouldn't forget. Have you ever been given an object lesson you wouldn't forget? As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about object lessons that that I've seen demonstrated in my lifetime. And and one kept coming to my mind. It was in our our single Sunday school class at the church I went to while we were in seminary. And the teacher was teaching on 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, which says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And to make this point, he had an egg. And he took this egg, and he asked a, a guy in our class by the name of Matt to come and take the egg. And he said, I want you to press on the outside of this egg as hard as you can. And I promise you that this egg will not break. And if you know that fact, that is a fact. You can squeeze on the outside of an egg as hard as you can. It will not break. He was doing that to illustrate the scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.8. Well, Matt got in front of the class and he wanted to show that the egg was not going to defeat him. 
So with all his might, he grabbed the egg, but then he dug his hands into the egg. And as he did, the pressure which he was grabbing the egg, it caused that egg to go everywhere in the classroom. The whites, the yolks, and the eggshell. There was nothing left of that egg. He destroyed the egg, and he destroyed the object lesson that the teacher was giving. And we walked out of that class, every single one of us, with some part of that egg on us. But that's an object lesson that I would never forget. In the same way, Jesus wanted to give his disciples something to remember the rest of their lives, and he did. Because Jesus knew that after he departed, the disciples would need to continue his mission by serving others the way that he had served them. And by washing their feet, Jesus was about to show the full extent of his love, which we will see later is a foreshadowing of the cross to come. But to understand the magnitude of what Jesus was about to do, we have to understand feet washing in the context of the Jewish culture. The region of Palestine, it was a very dry climate. And in this dusty and dry climate, people walked extensively in sandals, and and so their feet would get dirty. And when they would enter a home, the washing of the guest's feet, it was a job done by a household servant. There'd be a wash basin by the door and the servant would have a towel wrapped around his waist. And this job was a menial task given to the lowliest of servants. Leaders and hosts never stooped down to perform this task. They thought it was below them. But even though it was a menial task, it was necessary as it was an essential act of hygiene as people would recline on thin mats around a low table And they would sit side by side, leaning back in close proximity to each other. And they usually leaned on their left arm and their their feet radiated toward the table that was in front of them. And in Jewish culture, some Jews insisted that this job should be only reserved for, for Gentile slaves or women or children. They thought it was a job that wasn't even fit for Jewish slaves. So culturally, it was understandable for the disciples to not to want to wash each other's feet. It was understandable for them to not watch Jesus' feet. And on the rare occasions where friends would wash each other's feet, it was considered a great act of love. And this is exactly what Jesus was about to do. He's about to reverse what is normal. And in John chapter 13, the absence of a household servant probably led to the situation where this service had not yet been performed. So these disciples and Jesus were sitting on these mats around their table with with their feet radiating outward and them sitting in close proximity to each other and they have dirty feet close to each other. Their feet had not been washed yet. But Jesus saw that something needed to be done and that someone had to step into the role of a servant. And so that's exactly what Jesus did. He was about to perform a task considered too low even for his disciples. And yet Jesus was their Lord. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Son of God. And scriptures tell us he rose from the table. He took off his outer garment. He put a towel around his waist. Just like a household servant would do. And can you imagine what the disciples are thinking as Jesus was doing this? Can you imagine what was going through their minds? They were probably stunned. They were probably speechless or maybe even embarrassed because it was inconceivable what Jesus was doing. 
They couldn't wrap their minds around it. And in their minds, they probably thought, he shouldn't be doing this. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Lord. What is he doing? You see, what Jesus was doing, it was countercultural. What Jesus was doing was radical. And he was not simply washing the disciples' feet to be washing their feet. He didn't say, I guess nobody else is going to do it, so I'm going to do it. Jesus is washing their feet for a purpose. Jesus is showing them that the reason he came was not to serve. And it's not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And he was going to do it in love. And this is evident in Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And it will be more evident when Jesus goes to the cross in just a few hours. But think about what Jesus did when he washed the feet of his disciples. He exchanged his position as king for the position of a humble servant. And if you read Philippians 2, 6 and 8, it says, Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Paul in Philippians said that Jesus humbled himself. He became a servant like us. He humbled himself to do something that he was not required to do, but he wanted to do it because of his great love. And think about this. Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed by one of his disciples. He knew that Jesus was going to betray him. He knew that he would be disowned by Peter. He knew that he would be deserted by all of his disciples for a time. But yet notice, he washed all the disciples' feet. He honored them all the same. He did not treat any of these disciples differently. What a unique and amazing love. In spite of what he knew was in the hearts of his disciples, he was still willing to perform this incredible act of service. And through this great act of service of washing the feet of the disciples, he was showing the full extent of his love. He was showing how much he loved the disciples. Jesus saw a need and he met it. And there was no limit to what he was willing to do to meet that need. Jesus was willing to do what it took. And just like Jesus knew what was in the hearts of his disciples and still loved them and served them, Jesus knows us completely. And Jesus still serves us. And Jesus still loves us. Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows our thoughts. Jesus knows our sins, the ones we've committed and the ones we will commit. But yet he still loves us and was willing to wash us clean by dying on the cross for us. Jesus saw that we had a need for a Savior. He was willing to meet that need. He was willing to do what it took for us to have our sins forgiven so we could have a relationship with Him. He was willing to do what needed to be done so we wouldn't have to be left as we were. Jesus, as a servant, was obedient to death, even death on the cross. And what Jesus did for the disciples in washing their feet, and what Jesus did for us by going to the cross 
is an inconceivable display of love. It's something that we can't comprehend. But it's something for which we should ever be grateful. So the first thing is Jesus washing the defeat of the disciples was an incredible act of love. Secondly, it's a remarkable symbol of spiritual cleansing. Look at verses 6 through 11. It says, Jesus came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you'll know. Peter said, you will never wash my feet, ever. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. Jesus approached Peter to wash his feet. And what did Peter say in verse 6? He said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He responds with a question that takes on the form of an expression of disbelief. Peter wasn't appalled that someone wanted to wash his feet. He had traveled on dirty and dusty roads before. He had entered the homes of other people. He had household servants washing his feet. But this was different He was appalled at the fact that Jesus was doing it. And Peter's question is along the lines of, what are you doing, Jesus? You shouldn't be doing that. And because I don't think you should be doing it, I am going to pass and I'm not going to let you do that to me. Peter thought Jesus was above washing feet. Peter had a hard time understanding what Jesus was doing. He had a hard time seeing Jesus as the Messiah, as being a lowly servant. You know what Peter's problem was? Jesus did not fit into Peter's box. And this isn't the first time that it happened. Matthew 16, 22 to 23. Jesus told his disciples he was going to suffer at the hand of the Jews. And Peter said, not on my watch. Peter said, this is not going to happen to you. And Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. So Peter's lack of understanding has happened before and it's happening again. And it's evident by what Jesus says in verse 7. He said, Peter, I know you don't understand now, but you will later. Jesus knew that Peter had not grasped the idea that in order to be a true leader, you first had to be a servant. But even though Peter didn't understand now, Jesus told him there was going to be a time when he would understand what he was doing. And after the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter would be able to look back at all these events that had happened. Jesus washing his feet, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and he would understand the mission of Jesus and how Jesus' first and foremost priority was being a servant. But in the meantime, Peter was clueless. He did not grasp the weightiness of this situation. And in verse 8, look at his response. He said, you will never wash my feet Ever, Peter said. Peter told Jesus there was no way he was going to wash his feet. When I see this statement, I think this is very bold of Peter to make a statement like that to Jesus. He was basically telling Jesus what Jesus was not going to do. You know, unlike Peter, we should never put Jesus in a box. We should never limit Jesus to what we think he should do or not do. 
He is the creator and we as the creation need to understand that he has every right to tell us what to do. We don't get to call the shots. We are simply to obey the call he has placed on our lives. Scripture says that Jesus is the potter, that we are the clay, and he is the one who molds us and makes us into who he wants us to be, not who we want to be. And Peter didn't understand that. And then we get to verse 9. It's, it's an eye-opening statement by Jesus and probably something Peter didn't expect. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. That was significant. Having a part can refer to an heir's part of inheritance. And spiritually, it refers to participating in the eschatological blessings of God. It's the idea of being an heir to God and enjoying what's to come. And what Jesus is doing, he's linking the foot washing, the physical cleansing of the disciples' feet to the spiritual cleansing of our sinful hearts that's going to take place on the cross. And the only way for us to be washed spiritually is for us to be cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus. Isaiah 1.18, God said, come, let us discuss this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be like wool. How is that going to take place? How are our sins going to be made white as snow? Hebrews 9, 12 to 14 and verse 22 has the answer. It says, He, meaning Jesus, entered the Holy of Holies once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of the Messiah who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. In verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 9. According to the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. The only way we can be spiritually cleansed is by accepting what Jesus did on the cross for us, by accepting the fact that he shed his blood for us. And I am not sure that any of the disciples made this connection between the foot washing and the cross. And if even if Peter could not make this connection, one thing he knew, Peter knew he wanted to be linked with Jesus he knew that he wanted to have a part of Jesus. And when he realized that the only way that he could be connected to Christ was if Jesus washed his feet, Peter changed his mind instantly. In fact, he went to the other extreme in verse 9. He said, Jesus, don't wash my feet. He said, Jesus, while you're at it, just wash all of me. Peter was now all in. He did not want to miss what Jesus had to offer and in verse 10, Jesus said something very interesting. He said, one who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Jesus is saying, disciples, you've already had a bath. Your body's clean. You don't need to be completely washed. All you need that needs to be washed is your feet for you to be completely clean. But Jesus was making a, a, a deeper point. Because Peter's response to Jesus, it did something else. It opened the door for Jesus to take this foot washing to another level. And Jesus said in the second part of verse 10, You are clean, but not all of you. Who was the one he was talking about that wasn't clean? 
It was Judas. If you go back to verse 2 of chapter 13, it says, The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the heart of Judas was not clean. He knew that that Judas was the only one whose heart was evil and that he was the one who was going to betray him. The other disciples were clean because they had received the cleansing salvation by faith by believing in Jesus. And here's the spiritual connection. When we come to Christ, the initial and fundamental cleansing that Christ provides, the washing away of our original sin, is a once and for all act. Jesus came once. Jesus died once. Jesus shed his blood once. He did it once and he doesn't have to do it again. It's exactly what Hebrews 9.14 said. He said he did it once and for all. You don't have to be saved over and over again. Once you commit your life to Christ, you are committed to him forever and he is committed to you forever. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can snatch you from his hand. And once we receive Christ, we are forgiven of our sin. But what we need to realize, this doesn't mean that we're not going to sin again. We're still going to sin. We're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to mess up. And when we do, we need to ask for forgiveness from God. And we can ask for forgiveness from God because we belong to God. Paul even said in Romans 7, 15 15 to 17, he said, I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Paul, the Apostle Paul even said, I sin sometimes. I don't want to sin, but sometimes I do. And that's true of every single one of us who've given our lives to Christ. Just because you give your life to Christ doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake again. We all make mistakes. We make mistakes every day. We sin against God every day, but thank God for verse 1, 9 that says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our whole body doesn't have to be clean, just our sins have to be forgiven. And that's why Jesus shed His blood. You see, if we've been cleansed by Jesus' atoning and redemptive work on the cross, we'll need to have our subsequent sins washed away. But the fundamental cleansing never has to be repeated. And the washing of the disciples' feet is a foreshadowing of the spiritual cleansing that Jesus would achieve on the cross. You see, without Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, the disciples could not have been completely cleansed physically. And without Jesus going to the cross and shedding his blood for us, we could not be cleansed spiritually and we could not have any part of Jesus. The only way to be connected to Jesus, the only way to have a relationship with him and be blameless before him is through the cross. You see, Jesus' cleansing the feet of his disciples was not only an incredible display of love. It was a remarkable symbol of what Jesus does for us by cleansing us of our sins. If we choose to allow him to do so by asking him for forgiveness the last point I want to make about this incredible act of of service is it's an incredible model of Christian humility not only is it a display of love not only is it a symbol of of spiritual cleansing but it's a model a remarkable model of Christian humility 
Look at verses 12 through 17. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. When Jesus was finished washing the disciples' feet, Scripture says he put back on his outer garment. He took off his towel and returned to his spot at the table. Then he asked the disciples a question. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? I think this was a rhetorical question. Jesus knew the answer to this question before he even asked. There's no record of the disciples answering. They were still probably in shock trying to to process and digest what just had happened. And Jesus, knowing that, he began to unpack what he just did in verse 13. In verse 13, he answered his own question. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, this is well said, for I am. If I am your Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet. You ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you example that you should do just as I have done for you. Jesus, the Messiah, has just done the unthinkable. But because he took on the form of a lowly servant, he is telling his disciples there is no conceivable reason that they should not wash each other's feet, but they have every reason to wash each other's feet. Jesus is saying, if I can wash the feet of others, You can wash the feet of others as well. And you need to follow my example. And Jesus is saying there are no excuses to not do what I just did. Jesus had just destroyed every social and every religious construct. And he's telling his disciples, I've set the example for you to follow. What I've done for you, you are to do for others. Jesus humbled himself to become a household servant and he expected his disciples to do the same the latin root word for humble is humus it means of the earth and to be humble means to be literally means to be face down in the dirt it means to lay aside your pride it means to be of lowliness of mind it means to be absence of self you see humility should be a defining characteristic of the life of every single believer It is selfless love. Every one of us should be lowliness of mind. Every one of us should be willing to put our face in the dirt in order to serve others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. That's a great Scripture that defines humility. Not looking after our own interests, but looking after the interest of others, considering others more important than ourselves. And this is exactly what Jesus did when he washed the feet of his disciples, and this is what he wants us to do. And when we live selflessly, we demonstrate that we are not the master of our lives, but we demonstrate that Jesus is the master of our lives. John Newton He wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, who was an Anglican evangelical pastor. He said this, 
He said, I'm persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidence that he is indeed our master. If you want others to know that you belong to Jesus, display humility and love in your life the way Jesus did. There'll be no question about where you stand. There'll be no question about to whom you belong. And that the heart of this command is not for us to wash each other's feet. Jesus is not telling us that we need to go and wash each other's feet. So, and for some of you, that may be a relief. Some of you have a fear of feet. There's actually a fear of feet called podophobia. It means an intense fear of feet. Some of you may, don't like anyone touching your feet or even coming close to your feet. Or maybe you don't like other people or touching other people's feet. But that's not what Jesus is saying. That's the surface level of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is, is, is uh, revealing a deeper truth. The heart of his command is that we as his followers are to display genuine humility and helplessness and kindness toward brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there are many ways that we can follow the example of Jesus. There are many ways that we can show genuine humility and helpfulness and kindness toward others. What we did through the Compassion Project is a great example. The yard work, the painting, the minor construction, the minor repairs, the, the block party. It may also mean that you go and clean someone's house who can't clean their house for themselves. It may mean that you go and maybe you wash someone's dishes. If that's you, I'd love for you to come to my house and wash dishes. Maybe it's simply loving, uh, rubbing lotion on someone's scars. Or maybe it's taking someone a meal. Or maybe it's serving someone a meal. Maybe it's taking time out of your schedule just to sit and spend time with someone who can't get out for themselves. Maybe it's you going to the grocery store and doing grocery shopping for someone who can't do it for themselves. Or taking someone to doctor's appointments. I could go on and on and on of the numerous ways that we could wash the feet of others and be the hands and feet of Jesus. There are multiple ways for us to serve. There are multiple ways for you to serve and I to serve the people around us. You know what? Jesus expects us to do those things. Why? Because he did it. At modernizing the washing of someone's feet, it's simply humbling ourselves by being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's being willing to do what it takes to meet people at their point of need. It's serving others with the heart and the attitude of Jesus. It's serving with humility. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another how do people know that we belong to him if we serve one another in love and humility and in verses 16 and 17 Jesus drove this point home he drives this point home with what's called an aphorism it means a concise statement of a principle such like a penny saved is a penny earned or a chain is only as strong as its weakest link Look at verse 16 quickly. Jesus said, A slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Here's the point. No follower of Christ has the right to think that he is exempt 
from any task cheerfully or willingly undertaken by the one who sent him. And no servant has the right to think that any meaningful task is beneath him after his master has already performed it. Because Jesus did everything the Father asked him to do. We are to do everything Jesus asked us to do. There is no act of service from which we as followers of Christ are absolved. We are never to think that we are above serving others. We are never to think that we are above Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If nothing was below Jesus, nothing should be below us. You know, instead of, being, instead of thinking we're above Jesus, we need to be like Jesus. And when we follow the example of Jesus, in verse 17, it says, We will be rewarded. He said, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. It's not enough to know that we are a servant of Christ. We need to show that we are a servant of Christ by serving others the way that He did. And I pray that each one of us who know Jesus would serve and love others the way Jesus served and loved us, with humility, with compassion, and with kindness. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we just thank you so much for your love and so much for your goodness. And God, we just thank you so much for the cross. Yes, Father, the, you washing the defeat of the disciples, it was a great act of service. And yes, God, it's something that we should follow. It's something we should be willing to do to wash the feet of others, to show love to others, God, to have the, the attitude of humility to be willing to do what it takes to meet people at their point of need. But Father, we know the greatest act of service that you did was going to the cross for us. Father, by going to the cross, you did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And Father, we just thank you that Jesus was willing to come to this earth to take on the form of a servant and be obedient to death, even death on that cross. And Father, I pray if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, that they would understand what Jesus did for them. Lord, he did more than wash their feet. God, he's willing to wash away their sins if they come to you in faith. And Father, I pray if someone here hasn't given their life to you, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Father, for those of us who've made that commitment to you and say that, that we belong to you, Father, I just pray that we would not just say that we're followers of Christ, that we would show we are followers of Christ in the way that we serve others. And Father, reveal to each one of us, God, how we can be your hands and feet to those around us and wash their feet, God, the way that you wash the feet of the disciples. Father, we love you so much. Father, we just ask that you would work in this time of invitation and that people would respond to you in obedience and that your will would be done. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.